Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any info on our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. All right, so today I'm going to talk about discipling our kids and our youth. And I've been involved in high school ministry for just over 13 years. I'm passionate for it. Uh, That's my favorite section over there because that's where most of the high school students sit. It's good. It was a weak clap, but that's okay. (laughs) I forgive you. Um, But I don't want to talk about me discipling uh, kids and youth. I want to talk about the church discipling our kids and our youth. And 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10 says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and there is no division among you, but you'll be perfectly united in mind and thought. And me and Stefan and our teams and and Pastor Chris have been working really, really hard at, at doing discipleship as a church, not just adult ministry, youth ministry, kids ministry, but as a church, we're all discipling people together and high school cells doing a bi-journals with all the adult cells and trying to work this out because we are one body. We're not, we're not multiple bodies. We're one body in the church, and it's amazing. And it doesn't just take, the, doesn't just take me and the high school and middle school and, and kids ministry volunteers to disciple our kids. It doesn't just take parents to disciple kids, which... It's the very most important place, but it actually takes the church to disciple our kids and our youth. And I'm not just talking about the programs. The programs are amazing, our volunteers are amazing, and I love what they do. And you saw on the the set free, just incredible work they do. But it doesn't just take them doing the work to disciple our kids and our youth. It takes a church, the body of Christ, to disciple our kids and our youth. And I want to talk about this next generation. I've been Involved for a long time, so I know a little bit and I've observed a few things, but if you think I'm an expert, I'm not, because this generation changes so fast that in three months I wouldn't be an expert anyway, so whatever. But here's some things that I, I have observed, and if there's any high school, middle school students in the room, know that you don't like being stereotyped, but I'm going to stereotype you, and I'm sorry. Forgive me. Uh, I know you're going to be like, oh, that's not how I actually am, but that's Okay. We'll all work it out together. First thing that I've noticed about youth is, even though there are many bumps and bruises on the way, most genuinely want to make a difference in their world and want to change the world around them. The next thing I've noticed about the next generation is, they all want, most of them want to do the right thing. They all want to do the right thing. And even when they don't, they want you to know that they want to do the right thing even though it's, they make a mistake. They don't like being labeled. I don't know if anyone likes being labeled. But they especially don't be, like being labeled. So when they do something bad, they're not a bad kid. They're a kid that made a mistake. Acceptance is the most important thing in their lives. Finding a place of belonging is everything. I say to the grade eights when they're moving into grade nine, I say this every single year, the most important decision, obviously other than Jesus, the most important decision that you can make in grade nine is who are your friends. That is the most important decision that you'll make because acceptance is everything and will influence everything in their life. Youth have the ability to tell whether or not somebody is genuine or not. And they won't, somebody, they won't follow somebody who is fake. They won't. And whether they show it or not, most youth love their parents and look up to them. But this is the thing, parents. Whether or not your words and your actions line up will be a key indicator how a high school student survives high school. Because, once again, 
They're the people that can detect fakeness. That's not even a word, but being fake. Better than any other generation. And, once again, they will completely distance when they detect someone's not genuine. And finally, youth are looking for genuine, caring, older adults to look up to and mentor them. And this is the point that I want to sit on for a bit. Because who is the most caring, loving, single-minded, genuine group in the world? Who should it be? You guys. The church. So the church is actually set up as an organization or family or body to naturally have the most influence on this next generation than any other organization in the world. Surprise. Jesus had it that way. And when a church pursues the connection between the, the different generations, when the church values the connection between different generations, it's called multi-generational church. But before I talk about what this could look like in our church, I want to talk about what does this next generation look like. Who is this next generation? They're Generation Z, 1995 to 2015. And guess what the next generation is called? My kids, they're Generation Alpha. So if you thought this Generation Z struggled with entitlement... Wait till the next generation can look you in the eye and say, well, I'm Generation Alpha. <laughs> It'll be great. But anyways, this is Generation Z. They're the largest group on the planet right now. They're digital natives. They never feel safe because they don't know a world, they've never been in a world where there wasn't school shootings or terrorist attacks. Most were born after 9-11, and I would say that most actually go to school and have a thought in their head at least once during a week that I wonder if that could happen in our school. They speak entirely through emojis and videos, through TikTok, Snapchat, or Instagram. Don't worry if you don't know what that is. It's okay. The most irreligious group to date, it's the largest unreached people group in the world. 34% saying they're irreligious. That doesn't mean like they have different religions. They have no religion. 35% of Gen Z believe the church is irrelevant and hypocritical. 75% of Gen Z Christians look at the Bible less than one time per month. They're not looking for a religion anyway. They want genuine relationship. They spend an average of 13 hours a day on a screen. They don't have memories before internet or smartphones. And the difference between the offline world and the online world, there is no difference. It's all just one. It's just their world. The physical interaction between them and other people has decreased by 40% since 2000. In a crisis of, there's a crisis of identity, and Stefan often talks about the biggest question that we're all asking is, who am I, and what is it like for my, what, what, what do my people do? And you can see how this causes a lot of confusion, because there's a crisis of identity. Think about sexuality and gender. You can no longer say in society that you are a boy or a girl, because gender is just fluid. Same with sexuality, it's the same thing. You can't answer the question, who am I, because there's no truth. You could say, I'm a Christian, I'm from here, this is my family. Because, I'm going to talk a little bit later, because families are destroyed. So there's no identity. This is a post-truth society. And on top of that, every student has a full encyclopedia. They don't even know what that means. They don't even know what that word means. <laughs> a full access to every single worldview right in their pocket. And there's no difference in their mind between belief and identity 
It's the same word. And this is a really important thing to note when you're talking to them about gender and sexuality because belief is the same thing as identity in their minds. There's a disintegration of family. One third is living with someone that isn't their family. One half were born out of wedlock, and they have no, so therefore they have no identity and no belonging. There's an epidemic of anxiety and depression, probably linked to the last couple struggles that I talked about. Highest recorded in history, self-harm has tripled in the last, last number of years, and nearly 20% have considered suicide. So anyone that's a parent in here, your anxiety levels have gone to an all-time high while I read that. Some of you already have started fasting, <laughs> and you're praying, and you're really nervous. And that's okay. Me too. And we as a church have a massive responsibility to take care of this ne next generation because guess how many... I'll show you some stats of how many kids that are involved in our church. In early years, an average of 350 or kids come to our church. It's birth to age three. Kids ministry that's four to grade four is 687. Middle school midweek, that's on Wednesday, it's 466 come. H high school cells, 306, a total of 1,809. In the last year alone, the average on a midweek middle school has increased by over 100. We have a huge responsibility in our church, and it's amazing. And guess what? There's an amazing verse here in Proverbs 22.6. It says, start your children off in the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. It's important, guys, that we, we learn this. But before I talk how do we invest in this next generation, I want to talk about what this generation can invest into the church. Because sometimes their attitude is like, oh, they're the youth. They're going through struggles. We need to rescue them. But I want to propose something that we not just have the rescue mindset, we have a, a, an, an attitude of, why don't we just partner with them? Some of the things that the youth experience in their adolescent years is the things that we as a body need for more and joy and purpose in our lives. And I think we, we, we don't need to view the adolescent period or the teenage period as something to just survive or to get through, or to dread if you're not there yet. I've heard many times, and I've done this before, parents, or parents talking to each other, or, or youth leaders talking to each other. I have teens in the home. You have what? I have teens in the home. Oh, your life must be so hard. Like, how many of us have done that? Or you look at a middle school leader, and I've done this, I'm sorry, middle school leaders, and said, oh, I could never do that. Thank you for taking care of them. Have we done that before? Because I think our attitude sometimes, and it's not necessarily the wrong attitude, because I understand it's out of nervousness and fear, and, and we're not just sure, and it's hard. But we have this thing as like, we just need to survive that period. But what if we get to actually celebrate the changes that are going on in their lives? Maybe we would see that period and see change and celebrate it and say, what can I grow from what they're going through? Yes, there are lots of potential downsides. Think about every high school boy that has tested the limit of their parents' van. <laughs> but there is so much potential in, these, in this age, and it's incredible. So I'm going to talk about four areas of potential that, they, that these... Uh, students or these, this next generation can offer to our, our church. 
And the first one is emotional spark, creating and meaning and meaning and value in life. And this does mark the adolescent period. Because think about a pursuit. A pursuit, the amount of emotional change within a two-hour period is phenomenal. They start being kind of nervous, excited. Then they go into worship and they start jumping and they're really excited. Then the message and they go into weeping. And then a powerful song, weeping, emotional, happy, sad. It's a broad range of emotions and it's so fun to be part of. Think about the emotions that you experience in a church. Church service. Not as, not as broad. But what if, what if as adults we would learn to say, we would learn to become more emotional and see that as something is good and understand that God actually designed emotions and wants us to experience that in his goodness and his faithfulness. We all know this to be true. Think about the song, He Holds Me Fast. When you're going through a hard time and you're feeling this deep rise of emotion in your, in your heart and your soul, isn't that an incredible feeling? It's painful because you're going through a hard time, but we all love it because we feel this closeness to God. What if that emotion would be part of our normal lives? The next thing they can offer our, our church is social engagement. Think about how many new friends a 30, 40, 50, 60-year-old makes in a year. Most, one, two new friends an entire year. They might meet a new coworker. Think about how many new friends a high school student or young adult makes within a year. Many. Sometimes it causes a little bit of heartache and emotion, back to the emotional side. But it's incredible. There are many high school students that out on their own initiative will go and, and connect with people that aren't fitting in. Grade 11 and 12s, connecting with grade 9s and 10s to make sure they fit part of the body. And they do that all on their own initiative. It's incredible. And you know that our camp director was brought into our church from that type of outreach? Just young adults reaching into high school and this natural connection of relationship. That was lots of years ago. Don't worry. We don't have a 19-year-old running our camp. Just so everyone knows. Just to uh, clarify. Wouldn't it be amazing if our church would have that type of social engagement? That whenever you got a new coworker in your job, you look to set up supper with their family or go for coffee or hang out with them or invite them into your community. Imagine if every time someone sat new beside you in your row, you would go out of your way to introduce yourself and you would start building that relationship. Imagine if our church, no one in our church would ever feel lonely. Wouldn't that be an amazing? Wouldn't that be an amazing testimony to the rest of the world? High school students definitely aren't per perfect in that, and there's some relational stuff that we have to figure out, but that part I just love. I just love. The next thing that they can offer a church is novelty, seeking out and creating new experiences. Now, there's a downside to this because sometimes the desire for thrill clouds out the risk analysis. Now, we've all seen that. And uh, that's one of my favorite things as a pastor at camp, trying to convince high school students. I go to a high school student, and I'm like, hey, man, don't you think it would be so cool if you would, like, do a belly flop off of the inflatable slide? The grade 11 boy is like, yes, that would be so cool. And then I stand on the dock, and I'm like, ooh, get the camera out. 
Not that I've ever done that before. Your kids are perfectly safe at camp. It's awesome. <laughs> but it's very fun. They're open, up, they're open to change, and they have a fascination for life. They bring vitality and joy to this church. Think about the tech industry. Think who drives the tech industry. It's not a bunch of, great, a bunch of 50 and 6-year-olds. They pay for it. And <laughs> they pay for it and get all the money from it. But who asks for all the new technology and asks for all the new apps and asks, asks for? It's all the high school and young adults. That's who's asking for it. And then the rest of us, we just get to all use it and have fun with it if we can figure it out. <laughs> Even like, I've been out of high school ministry, now that I'm the children and youth ministry pastor, I've been out of high school ministry for six months and I feel like I've been out there from eternity how fast things change. It's, it's incredible. I was just on a school of ministers mission trip in Mexico and we went to a place called Jujutla. It's a fun word to say. It's not Jujutla if everyone's wondering. And it was amazing. Uh, the one night we got to go do evangelism in the city and the city in the last two years ago was hit by an 8.1 earthquake and there was a lot of disaster and we got to go and do evangelism there. And one night we were sitting in this kind of the city square. It's not a great picture because it was dark and whatever, but there's a, kind of what we were doing. There's a little bowl uh, where we were, some of our team was doing worship in. And as soon as the worship started, no one had to tell the team to do this. Right away, they went and started ministering to every little group that joined, wondering why like that city never had white people there. It's just the fun, funnest place. And, and they were wondering, why there's a bunch of people, white people singing here? And then we just got to go love them and care for them and pray for them and do evangelism with them. But no, like I said, it wasn't me like, telling them they had to. It was this, this natural social engagement. And, whoop. and that's just amazing what the testimonies from that time. Finally, what they can offer is creative exploration. The seek, they seek out the why. Now, there's a downside to this too. There's always a searching for meaning in life during these years that can lead to a crisis of identity. Vulnerability to peer pressure and a lack of direction and purpose. But this is actually normal. And you know what? Parents, I just want to speak to you here. And I've told, the kid, I've told the students this already, so this isn't a surprise to them. I've said this at camp before. But somewhere between grade 10 and 11, or somewhere in there, a lot of students, not all students go through this, but a lot of students press a reset button. They're like, Phew. And everything that they once believed and would say, I believe this no matter what, whatever they held true then, they all of a sudden they have questions about it and they're like, is this really true? Can I actually trust this? And you want to encourage you, this is good and this is normal if these students have a safe place to ask questions. So, parents, you aren't failures if this happens. You didn't teach them wrong. This is normal. But we as families and the church, we need to spend a lot of time and energy asking the question and praying through how do we create safe places for our students, for the students' questions to be validated, heard, and then answered. And it's really important that we spend time doing that. Youth have tons of questions. I have been asked so many questions. Questions about hell, the Bible, gender, sexuality, friends, purpose in life, and about myself. Brad, are you actually genuine? Like, I've been asked, you'd be shocked. Because they're usually willing to ask any question without any shame. And you're like, oh my word. All right. 
here we go. But you got to really learn how to not have the shock face. You're like, oh, thank you for sharing. Yeah. Inside you're dying, you're like, <gasps> it's okay. It's actually amazing. Imagine if the whole church, the adults, would grow from this, and we would learn to start asking questions like that too. That we would ponder the things of life as we walk and we're in nature. We would ponder why God had created things. We'd look in the scripture and we'd ask the question, why does it say that in the Bible? Some of us were afraid of that. Because then all of a sudden, wouldn't, what if like our faith, like get, there's a question, we're scared of asking the question. It's really important because you know what happens when you wrestle through a question? You begin falling in love with Jesus in a deeper and deeper level, and it's amazing. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, if you, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And God isn't afraid of our questions. He actually loves them. We see that in the Psalms. How many times did David say, God, are you good? Do you even care about me? Are you there? I can't hear you. Have you turned your face from me? And then always is filled with just an answer of, God, you are good. Your mercy endures forever. You are faithful. And we see the declarations because he asked the question first. It's really important that we ask the question because then our faith grows deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. As a church, we need to embrace these youth and what they have to offer. Yes, all four of those areas, the emotional spark, novelty, social engagement, and I missed one here, creative exploration, all those, can it cause confusion? And can it cause chaos? Can it cause them not knowing what's going on and you not know what's going on? Yes, but we can celebrate it because it's change and it's awesome and, and they're growing up. It's incredible. But a, um, a message about multi-generation would not be complete by sharing what the youth can offer the church, but then what can the older generation contribute to our youth? Now, I know some of you in here, I won't name any names, are thinking he's saying the old generation. I didn't put old generation, I put older, because some of you guys are a little bit sensitive of me with the word old there. So when I say, I'm like, I said, what can the older generation, not old generation. Just make sure you hear older, it'll help you. And if there's anxiety welling up again, think about that picture, those beautiful blue eyes. There we go. Now we'll move on. So what can the older generation offer the next generation? The first thing that they can offer is a connection, a listening ear. And this is really important because Dan Siegel says in the book Brainstorm that, that yes, it's natural and it's normal for there to be some push away from parents. But in this generation, there are many adolescents that have no connection to any adults at all. And that's dangerous. Some, but this is the caution that I have for this church. Sometimes our goal is, let's make youth adults like that. Why aren't they youth already? Or why aren't they adults already? Well, because they're youth. And so what, what should be our goal? Our goal doesn't need to be like to turn them into adults in the instant, 
The goal is to create places of trust and belonging where we can walk alongside and say, hey, this is the right way. Ah, be careful of that. Hey, this isn't answered. Oh, be careful of that. And we get to walk alongside and create this connection. And we get to talk about things that we never thought we'd have the opportunity to talk about. And it's amazing. A simple example is how many hours that I have talked about cars. Now, if you know me, I'm the most, I, I, there's a reason I'm a pastor. I use my mouth, not my hands. Like, I can't fix anything. That's why I have brother-in-laws that can fix things. It's great. And dads. Uh, both my father-in-law and my dad. Because I can't. So talking about cars, I know nothing. But I've spent hours and hours and hours and hours talking about cars. Why? Because I don't, care anything about cars. I drive a 2005 Toyota Sienna, like, ooh. <laughs> it has a V6, so I can pass all the cars that look nice, um, <laughs> that are gutless. Anyways, I don't care a lot about vehicles, but I've talked hours about vehicles because there are lots of high school guys that love cars. And if they love cars in that conversation, I love cars. And I don't need to know anything about them, I don't need to know anything about cars. I get to just ask questions. Because who doesn't like to talk for hours about the thing they're passionate about? So just learn to ask questions. You just get to, and this is, brings me to the next point, be, having a willing, have a willingness to discuss and ask questions. Questions are scary sometimes, but asking is amazing. It brings this connection. If you have middle school students, probably at some point, during the period of development, they might ask the question, am I a boy or am I a girl? Oh, this is actually normal before the gender question ever came up. They just figured out who they are. And it's great. A high school student might come to you and ask the question, why is being gay sinful? Now you might look at it and be like, oh my goodness, I thought I taught you better than that. But their friend, who they love like crazy, just came out to them and said, I'm gay. And so now your kid is asking the question, is gay wrong? Because they deeply care for their friend. And they want an answer because they want to know, do I have to say, no, you can't be my friend anymore? Do I have to say, you're wrong, I'm right, I'm not going to talk to you anymore? There's a lot of big questions that high school students have when they're trying to figure out what this looks like. And as parents, as the church, we get to teach them how to have truth and mixed with grace. And how to love people that are different, different than us and that have different values than us and have different ways of viewing life than us. Yet not compromising truth, obviously. But how to show grace amongst that truth. And that's an amazing gift that we can offer our, the next generation. And you know what? If you, some of you are afraid for people to ask questions because you're like, I don't have any answers. And so if anyone asks those questions, you're like, well, I don't know anyway. But the thing is, I've learned a really good skill, and I'm going to teach it to you. When someone asks you a question that you don't have an answer, you just look at them and say, I don't know. <laughs> That's all you say. I don't know. But you follow it with a following statement. But let's do this together, and let's find this answer out together. And then you actually do find the answer together. And where can you look for truth? Where can you look for truth? You can look at the truth in the Bible. 
And there's this great place that speaks truth every weekend and that works to promote truth. The church. That's why we're here. And so if you ever have questions, you might email us and we might say, well, I don't know either. But then we will respond, but we're going to find the answer. I've witnessed many, many times Pastor Chris and other pastors, when they don't have the answer, going on this massive frenzy of studying to try to figure it out. And it's amazing. That's what we are. We're the church. We celebrate and we figure out truth. And we, look at, we, we, root it, we make sure it's rooted in Scripture, obviously. Thank you. So feel free to ask us for help. That's why Pastor uh, Caleb and Pastor Braden are here. Because they want to help people figure this all out. Figure out truth. Figure out how to answer these questions. We can offer friendship. There are so many transitions in their lives that they need people that are steady in their lives. Genuine friendship. What else can we offer them? We can offer them a history with God. How many of you are spurred on when Pastor Chris or Pastor Ray come up here and share amazing testimonies of what God has done? I think all of us are hands. Yep. We hear testimonies of how God allowed us to build this building. We hear te- testimonies of how we weren't allowed, we couldn't have the camp, and then all of a sudden we were given 128 acres. We hear testimonies of the, the we weren't allowed to build, and now there's a foundation. And we have all these testimonies, and we're all spurred on by those. Do you know what you can offer the next generation? Your own stories. Is your faith genuine? That's what every student is asking. That's what the next generation, is your faith genuine? Do you know how you can show if your faith is genuine? Have stories. Have answers to prayer that you share with them. Have stories of faith where you read the Bible, and a verse came to light. And you're like, this is Have devotions in the morning. It's amazing. It's amazing how many testimonies come out where a student will say, yeah, all of a sudden I saw my parents having devotions in the morning every single morning. And I could be like, oh, they do think it's real. It's amazing what happens when we we demonstrate that we have a history with God personally. That's probably one of the most powerful pieces. We can offer them wisdom and knowledge. Now, I'm not that old, but I have really enjoyed something about getting older. I've enjoyed that my perspective is broadening, and I think the older you get, probably your perspective broadens even more, which I'm excited about. The small stuff doesn't seem, or the big stuff doesn't seem as big anymore. It kind of gets small. And we get to see what is the most important things in life, and we get to, to figure that all out, and we get... And it's exciting because we get to pass on that wisdom. This is the thing. We can only pass that wisdom and knowledge on if there's trust. You can't force anything down a person's throat. It just doesn't work. Which then leads us to being able to pass on values. I've thought so many times about how often I thought in high school, this is the most important thing in the world. Only to find out a couple years later, well, that wasn't that important. But it's all part of growing up. It's good. We can pass on resources. And here, I want to thank you, church. I want to thank you. Because you, I, I know that you actually believe this one, and you get this one already. I think about the $9 million that we are raising and, and we're funding to build that camp. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. And that money won't just come out of thin air. It comes from you guys giving, and it's incredible. 
So thank you for really believing in this next generation. Because I see the difference that happens. I get to spend the summer at camp. I wish all of you could. And by the way, you can. There's this great, great thing called cabin leading. You're never too old. Try it. It's really fun. But I get to see the difference that camp makes. I have been involved in high school ministry, like I said, for 13 years. So guess what I've been able to see? I've seen people change their lives in high school back in grade 10, now have a wife and kids, and their lives have been changed because of a decision that was made that I saw in grade 10. The changes that our kids make here at church and set free at camp and all these different areas, I've got to witness how it actually changes entire families, entire generations, the next generation of kids. And it's amazing. So thank you, thank you for investing into this next generation. We couldn't do it without it. And camp is such an important, important, important place for our kids to experience God and experience truth. It, I can't emphasize it enough, and I cannot wait to get there this summer. Lord, please get the camp done. Amen. <laughs> Don't worry, we're framing next week, and we're starting camp in three months. Um, <laughs> it's going to be good. It's going to be awesome. So how is this going to work in our church? How does multi-generational church look like here, right here? Are we going to cancel all of our adult cells and our high school cells and go, okay, we're going to do all cell together? Well, that might be fun for a couple weeks. But then I, probably it wouldn't work out long term. Um, but how is it going to work? I think it starts with you, the church, the body, as individuals going out of their way to value the generation behind and ahead of you. To value both sides of where you're at. To, to value the generation ahead of you and behind you. And 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 11, 13 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just in, as in fact you are doing. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and the love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. And this is what we get to do to both the generation behind us and the generation ahead of us. We get to encourage and build up and spur on and, and to value. So how do we do that in our church? The first thing is what we can do is create a safe place in our homes to ask hard questions. This is really important. I still remember uh, going to a movie with my dad when I was 16 years old. You might think that one-on-ones don't matter once your kids get older. Probably matter more. Those conversations from Winnipeg to Winnipeg and back are probably the most valuable times you could have. Do it monthly. Adjust your schedule so you have a place to listen. Usually, it means that you'll probably have to stay up a little bit later than your normal. It's good. Questions usually come out at about 10.30, just so you know. <laughs> Serve in family ministries. I'm not saying just serve in youth and high school ministries. I'm saving serve in our, with our babies and with our kids. Why? Because there's hundreds of middle school and high school and young adults serving in all of those areas. And guess what is really powerful? When they're serving along some, some, someone that's older, that has kids themselves, that is actually already in that journey. Because you can look there and you're, you're, it's powerful when we have a table group in kids land of a, of a parent and a high school student working together for these kids because that high school student is, is, learns like crazy and that adult is like has the extra energy to help alongside. <laughs> it's good. 
And it's amazing. So I encourage you, it's powerful. Even when you're holding babies, you're like, what am I doing for an hour and a half? You probably have a bunch of high school students in there as well that you get to listen to, invest in, and talk with. Next thing that you can do is value your role as uncle and aunt and grandparent. If students won't open up to a parent, because sometimes it's a little bit awkward, and that's okay. It's part of the whole transition and the change, and that it's part of it. But maybe they'll open, open, up, open up to the cool uncle or aunt or grandparent that gives them way too much candy. <laughs> if it helps build trust, just load it on. It's good. <laughs> Next thing that you could do is mentor in work and sports. And I know that millennials and Generation Z have a bad rap of, not, of being lazy, entitled, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. But the thing is, in this generation, when the family's a mess and everything's a mess, where are they learning work ethic? Where are they learning godly character? Where are they learning this? We can mentor these people in work and in sports. In Canadian Tire, I worked there for a lot of years, so I witnessed firsthand how they would not just care about me as a worker, but invest in me as a person. And it's been a lot of years since I worked there, but the same manager's there, so I assume this is still the, the value that they have. And they spur on the person, it's incredible. I know of one guy, he employed a high school student that was involved in drugs and alcohol. And it kept on spiraling out of control until this uh, high school student ended up in Teen Challenge. Uh, But through the whole process for the entire year of Teen Challenge, this employer was always available to, to talk or whatever. And then, who was there at the Teen Challenge grad? The employer. The employer was at the Teen Challenge grad. And who got a job the moment they were done Teen Challenge? Where did they get a job? Right there with that employer. This is powerful, and this is how we really value multi-generational ministry. How else can we do it? Through coaching. Do you know how many thousands of kids are involved in sports in our community? Man, this is something I've prayed about for years and years and years and years and years and years and years. Imagine if there was amazing, godly, spirit-filled, listening to the Holy Spirit coaches that were leading our many, many, many sports players. Sports players already get drive. They already get work ethic. They already get passion. Imagine if they were ignited for Jesus. I've seen it happen in the SRSS. There was a mini revival in 2011 because the SRSS uh, football team was ignited for Jesus. And I imagine that this would happen across all of our hockey, football, baseball, soccer, and whatever other sports there are. There's a lot more. Or even arts. But it will take thousands of older people, older generations, saying, I'm going to be spirit-filled and I'm going to invest time to this, not just for the sake of the sport, but for the sake of Jesus. And finally, we can pray. We can pray for parents. There's probably a lot of times where parents are like, well, I don't know how to answer this. (laughs) I don't know what to do. I don't know why you're crying. It takes prayer because it's totally two different generations and you're almost trying to meet in the middle and trying to figure it out. We have to pray for our parents that they would have wisdom and discernment to know when to speak and when to be silent and when to act and when not to, right? But then we also need to pray for our students. And I want to, there's a bunch of seniors in this church and and across many churches. And each school, there's a team of seniors that prays for each school in our community. And every single month, Braden, our high school pastor, gets an email from one of the seniors in our church and says, how can we pray for the SRSS? And regularly we have prayer for our students, and it's amazing. And so, 
To end this message, I want to do something. I want to invite all of the high school students and middle school students on, a, on, on stage. You guys don't know this, high school students, but I would like it if you would come on stage with me. I'm not too scary. So high school students, why don't you come on stage in middle school? You guys can start coming down. I think they're coming from the back somewhere. High school students, you guys have to move all the way to the, this, that side because there's loads of you. And it's awesome. And we have, like I said, we have amazing high school and middle school ministries in this church. Uh, this last couple months, uh, the middle school ministry has been going through a curriculum thing called Dare to be Different and addressing all sorts of hard questions, even questions about sexual identity and gender, and it's been amazing. And also, this Friday, Saturday, this Friday, Saturday, the high school students get to go to something called Truth Conference. And this is a weekend where we a answer hard questions and we teach truth. And Pastor Chris and Tom and myself are all there teaching and Pastor Braden as well. And so I'm really, 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 really excited about it. High school students, move a little bit forward. You're, you don't have to be too afraid. Once again, these are just your parents. They're not too scary. Move forward a little bit more. It's good. One day you're going to be taking my spot preaching here anyway, so better get used to it. All right. Uh... Is there a room over here? There we go. Perfect. All right. So, before I tell you why they're up here, I have a proposal for all of you. For every single generation that's up here and every, uh, the next older generation that's over here. <laughs> I want us to be aware of our dependence for one another. Each stage, each generation needs each other and needs to be surrounded by each other. And we need to value the importance of this generation ahead of us and this generation behind us. When we realize that this, this when we realize this, we're going to have way more joy and purpose in our lives and it's important that we value this. And instead of seeing Generation Z like I described at the beginning, if we get this right as a church, we're going to see the next generation filled with a zeal, a hope, a resilience, and a passion for Jesus. Sometimes we can look at the future and say, oh my goodness, how are we going to do? We can be filled with anxiety. But let's not, be, let's not look at the next generation and, say, and be filled with fear. Let's look at the next generation and be filled with a deep sense of love and compassion and support. And we need you guys to value, and we need each other to each value each other's differences, strengths, and weaknesses, no matter what the age is. And so church, I have a question for you. Would you be willing to pray for us? Would you guys stand up? I got a picture before speaking yesterday of, of a bunch of students standing on a barren wasteland. And I saw a bunch of adults just kind of naturally, organically, kind of partnering up with each student and it brought life and joy and this light to every student that was in the barren wasteland. And so I would love it if you feel comfortable, if you want to reach your hand out towards these students. We have all of our middle school and high school students up here. And if we would just pray together in unison, that would be amazing. All right, let's pray. Jesus, I just pray for this next generation. I am.
Jesus, we pray for this next generation. God, I pray that you would give them a resilience and a hope and to be, to walk up with confidence the things that they've been taught. God, give them wisdom, discernment, just a joy in their lives. God, thank you so much for how we have so many of them in our church and they've committed to this body. Our body is better for it. Amen. Don't leave yet and please stay standing. I want to say something. And I want to thank you, church, because sometimes I hear the comment, I wish I had this when I was younger. I wish I had this when I was in youth or when I was a kid. And it's incredible that we do get to experience this in our church. I love that we have a church that's always growing and seeking to to value the next generation. But I wanna thank you, church, because this would not happen unless we had a legacy in our community. We wouldn't have 1,809 people in our church that are in Generation Z if it wasn't, we didn't have a legacy in our community of church, prayer, the word, and commitment to Jesus. There's a saying that last generation's ceiling is this generation's floor. And I want to thank you, church, for leaving a legacy that we can stand on as this next generation. And so students, I'm just wondering if we could bless them. We could bless them and we could pray for them. And so students, I would like it if you would raise your hands out. And we're going to pray in unison, just like they did for us. We're going to pray in unison over our parents and over the rest of the church. Can we do that together? All right, let's pray. Jesus, I want to thank you for this next, the last generation that left a legacy for us. Thank you for the generation ahead of us, God, that, that laid the foundation, that laid a pathway for us to walk on of prayer and the word, commitment to church, commitment to each other. And Jesus, I pray for parents that they would have discernment and wisdom to know how to, to answer questions and to figure it all out. And God, I ask that the connections between the generations would only increase. God, I ask that it would naturally happen in a church. It wouldn't be a program, but it would be older people going out, seeking out younger people to invest in and vice versa. God, this, gener- this, this church would become a, a place of wholeness where we really value every single part of the body. Not just our age group or our demographic, but God, we would value every single person in the body of Christ. Jesus, we thank you for our church. We thank you that it is already happening. But God, I ask it would happen more. God, would you bless everyone here? Amen. All right, students, thanks for joining us. You guys can head back to the RTC. And high school students, you guys head back to your seats. Thank you guys for being here. That's awesome.